0: You're listening to Minding the Brain with Dr. Kim Hellemans and Dr. Jim Davies.
1: Episode 19, Pet Therapy.
2: When I was a kid, my family had a pet cat. Uh, It was a Manx, which is a kind of cat that doesn't have a tail, although our cat actually did have a tail, had a tiny little stump. And her name was Misty Gree. And we had her from probably about when I was born, maybe shortly before I was born, till I was around 18 years old. So we had her for most of my, well, all of my childhood and some of my adolescence. And I remember most of my childhood being about the cat and taking care of the cat. There's certainly something about some types of animals, mainly mammals, so things like cats and dogs. Uh, which I think is very soothing, and I, I, I'm not the only person to think this because there's a huge body of literature and now certainly therapeutic interventions that involve pets. Uh, there's equine therapy, working with horses, and certainly there's pet therapies that typically involve cats or dogs or sometimes things like hamsters. Uh, here at Carleton, in fact, we do have um, a therapy, the therapy dogs that have been around our campus for about a year. And so this episode of Minding the Brain is going to be around animal therapy. And it's going to be exploring a little bit of why it is that we as humans like being around animals and how animals can relax us and soothe us and maybe even help us navigate mental health problems like anxiety, depression or substance use disorders. So today you're going to hear from two people. We're going to have an interview with Shannon Noonan, who is uh, uh, an employee at Carleton who's one of uh, the individuals that was responsible for setting up the therapy dogs. And you're going to hear from Shannon and about her therapy dog, Blue. and then you're also going to hear from my colleague, Dr. Colleen Dell, who is a professor at the University of Saskatchewan, and she's going to be talking about the work that she's been doing with uh, her dogs, Subi and Annabelle. And on that note, I actually want to dedicate this um, episode, this show, to Subi, who very tragically passed away suddenly, un- unexpectedly, a little bit more than three weeks ago. So to Subi, this is for you and for all the people that you helped over the last six years in the addiction and PTSD community, you've touched so many hearts and so many lives. And for all of you that are listening, if you want to find out more about the amazing work that Dr. Dell does and the therapy dogs here at Carleton, we're going to include some photos and links on our mindingthebrainpodcast.com website. All right, so in our studio today, we are blessed uh, to have Dr. Colleen Dell visiting from the University of Saskatchewan. Colleen, would you like to tell us our, your title?
1: Hi, uh, thanks for having me today. Yes, it's, uh, I am a research chair in One Health and Wellness. Excellent. So Colleen, who's in the studio with you today? Today, I have Subi with me and he is a nine and a half year old boxer. And he's laying down right now. He's working. He's working as a service dog, uh, a psychiatric service dog. And he had other jobs too. Sometimes he's working as a therapy dog uh, with us in different places in Saskatoon.
2: Excellent. And for those of you, obviously, who can't see Sue i uh, I'm staring at this adorably mm-hmm. cute dog that is chocolatey brown in color with a little bit of gray around his muzzle, and he has one bottom tooth. Is it a bottom tooth that sticks up? Yeah. He's <laughs> uh, a very sweet dog. Uh, and so we're here today to talk about animal-assisted interventions. And uh, Dr. Dell has been doing a, a huge amount of work in exploring how exactly animals can assist with a variety of mental health uh, conditions, including post-traumatic stress disorder. But there's a little bit of a backstory. Um, And I'd I'd like you, uh, Dr. Dell, to to give us the story of how you came to be studying this.
1: Yeah, it's a, so my whole area of research has always been criminalization and uh, also addiction. So that's and that's been my research, but it's also been um, where I've worked in the community as well as a parole officer and, and other types of things at the Senate and so forth. So that's always been my focus. And then I was doing research around addictions for quite a while. And um, I just kind of felt like, it was uh, very hot, heavy. It's a very heavy area, right? And you feel like you take one step forward and five back sometimes, especially in the research realm. And uh, yeah, so then I had a sabbatical and I thought, well, maybe I'm not too interested in continuing being this prof kind of thing. I want to do, I want to somehow have impact and maybe just be reinvigorated again in my research area. And uh, so someone had said to me, well, for your sabbatical, think of something you love. And I thought, well, the first thing that came to my mind was I love my dogs. (laughs) And then I um, honestly, I just Googled dog in addiction. And there was one uh, thesis, a PhD, actually, and I forget by the person right now, but it's a quite well-known article because it was the first one out, and he, he looked at uh, therapy dogs and their impact within an addiction treatment center. And I was like, what's that? What's a therapy dog? What's a service dog? What's an emotional support animal? What is all this? And then, yeah, so I I started to find out more about the dogs and understanding dog psychology, I guess, on one level and how... Humans interact with animals, and how animals can be beneficial to human wellness. So it just kind of went from there.
2: So you did mention a few terms: uh, therapy dogs, yeah. um, emotional support dogs. For our listeners, could you briefly define each of those? Because there are Absolutely. key differences.
1: Absolutely. And that's, it's kind of like the field of addictions where there's so much terminology and people use it interchangeably. So it gets really confusing. Are you talking about substance use, abuse, addiction, and so forth? Um, Within the animal assisted intervention field, it's the same thing. People interchangeably use the word uh, service dog with therapy dog and emotional support animals because this is all very new and is coming at us pretty darn quick, right? So, um, I'll start with we have companion animals. Obviously, those are the animals that live in our homes and and uh, we have our relationships with them. And then we have therapy dogs. And therapy dogs are the ones like you would have on Carleton campus here. Uh, they come and they visit with individuals. They visit with the students and may visit with the staff as well. Um, it's called an animal-assisted activity. There is no therapeutic goals for that though it can be therapeutic and usually it's to the aims are to provide comfort or love and support right so those are the therapy dogs they do a test but they're dogs that live at home and they just like really really love people and then we have uh, service dogs such as Subi. We, I, I work with a program, I do research with a program called Audiamis, and they work with veterans with PTSD. And Subi, as part of the research project, has been trained through that program. And we worked alongside the veterans to train the dogs. Um, yeah, so these are the dogs who have very specific skills or trained in doing something. For example, Subi is able to do uh, interruptions if someone has anxiety Uh, The dogs, I'm just thinking of the veterans we work with, service dogs, they might be able to um, wake someone up out of a nightmare. You would see service dogs, a service dog would be someone for visually impaired, that would be an example. See, these dogs have access uh, anywhere to help their individuals uh, function in society well, and so they have access to anything anywhere except a kitchen where food is prepared. And then the other last one is an emotional support animal. And emotional support animals, um, these are pets who live at home in the only area where they have access. They have no training. They are for individuals who feel that their animal is supportive for them around mental health. And so if you lived in an apartment, for example, or a home, where um, pets weren't allowed if you had a letter from your um, service provider saying that pet is important to your mental wellness then that animal could live in that apartment with you and the other is they can go on planes as well and you've heard lots of stories of people taking peacocks and all types of things animals that they felt close to and were important to them but regulations have been changed so now it is for dogs. So,
2: but there's... Oh, it is. It's only for dogs that yeah. you can take onto a plane. I see. Yeah. But you were saying to me that the emotional support animals don't necessarily have the training no. uh, to enter in those kinds of spaces. So can you yeah. comment a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. And it's, it's, I think this is such a good example for the field because we know animals are important, but oftentimes, given who we are as human beings, we kind of put our needs a- ahead of the animals. So what we're always trying to do is thinking about animal welfare. So, for example, Subi just went on his first flight. He's been trained for a year and a half. Um, we did lots of training on how to back up, to lay under small spaces, all types of things like that, right? That go with the regulations of what he has to do on a plane. And he did great. He, he did really, really wonderful. Everything went really well. So now imagine if you had an emotional support animal who has absolutely no training and you're going to take him on the plane. And there's no training and you wonder why people might have a bite or what have you, right? So it's, uh, yeah, we, I think we have a long way to go to think through some of this. It makes a lot of sense on the surface, but we really have a lot to think through on the animal welfare side for sure.
2: Yeah because uh, of course you're you're somebody who's very passionate about how animals can assist with the human space if somebody's you know yeah. has flight anxiety but it's about ensuring that the animal is also taken into consideration in addition to that individual who may be struggling with you know anxiety or what have you so Absolutely. yeah that's a great point
1: Yeah, Mm -hmm. and so through One Health, through my chair, we look at the intersection for health around animals, humans, and the environment. So the whole point is, you know, you can't have human wellness without animal wellness and planet wellness or environment wellness, right? So that is just kind of naturally in there. And if... um, A lot of my background and research has been in uh, substance use, but indigenous wellness, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's an indigenous understanding of wellness is the animals, humans, and environment. Not so much a Western model, right? We're a lot more top down. So I think there's so much to learn there and so much to gain from that. It's just uh, revisiting and putting that animal at the center. Then we start to ask different questions and we have different understandings.
2: That's awesome. And yeah, so if you wouldn't mind, let's focus in on, you know, the, the, the service jog role and a little bit about the research that you've been doing with different communities. Can you speak to, you know, sort of those first steps in in establishing kind of what, what's this going to look like to bring an a therapy or service animal into uh, that kind of space? What do we need to be considering? And what are you looking for?
1: Yeah, so our whole research program with my team had started around we just started doing visits at the regional psychiatric center in saskatoon and so it took a a good couple of months just to work through um you know there's a drug dog on site is the therapy bringing the therapy dog to visit the patients there um is that going to be problematic, and so we went through lots of discussions and lots of preparation for that and then, after four or five months, uh we started to do our visiting there and It was just for me it was some of the start some of the first visits I had done, and that's through Saint John's ambulance, so the dogs were tested with Saint John's, as was I. And it was determined that they absolutely love people. And so they want to visit people. Um, so yeah, so starting that, I was just able to witness how individuals would really, I would say, lighten up um, and just kind of leave what's happening in that institution, in a correctional facility, kind of behind the door. And so many comments started with like, i when i'm here i forget that i'm here when i'm here i'm just with the dog and there was so many overlaps between just understanding that dog psychology and how dogs live in the moment and it really you just kept or i just kept hearing that with the patients there of living in the moment and just being able to see how much the dogs offered them i would just say love right and you know they could meet the dog for the first time, and after that 15 minutes, they'll say, I love you. They'll say, they'll give the dog a kiss on the head, right? And they'll get these hugs from the dogs and all this affection and things that they're not getting while they're institutionalized, especially that physical touch and how important that is. And you know, from the neuroscience part, how important that is, and all those good hormones that we get, right? So I was able to witness a lot of that, and then I was like, oh, okay, we definitely have a research program here. So, yeah, we finally, five years later, of course, we just had our first article published um, from the RPC data. Once we got going, and then starting a cohort, and just looking at those outcomes and you know, we keep doing follow-up interviews there as well. And uh, we just kind of looked at that point at um, the impacts of the program on the patient's correctional plan. It is as if it was contributing. And I always say this, but it's not very academic, but it, it's just true. And we just say when the individual's with the dog, the dog just allows them to open up their heart just that little bit. And then there's all the programming and there's all the workers there and all the amazing staff that they have that can then work with that, right? But if you're not connected, if you're completely disconnected from others, you're disconnected from society when you're institutionalized, you're probably disconnected from yourself in many, many ways, or you're taking on an identity such as an offender or a drug abuser, and many of them, maybe a murderer, right? You're taking all those identities but you're so disconnected and we say that the animals help us connect. And within the addictions field, I mean, you see memes all the time on Facebook or wherever, it's like the opposite of addiction is connection. So the more I worked with that, it was like, this is what the animals are bring, bring, bringing, right? I think you've,
2: Mentioned um, that there's something about the animal that can provide that sort of unconditional love, and when an animal sees a human, they don't see the labels. They don't see offender or addict or, you know, any any constellation of labels that we put on individuals that co- create those those distances between us. And animals don't do that. Put simply, and they accept, you know, this grounded theory. They accept the person or where they're at, and I think. Um, there's just something really wonderful about the animal sensing in the human that that need and the necessity for comfort, and my friend Gord Gardner, our friend Gord Gardner, has spoken a lot about um, one of the one of the key. Uh, things that is necessary for individuals in recovery is the concept of safety and how so many individuals that come from uh, violent homes and, and trauma uh, feel unsafe and that a lot of the drug use is around, you know, you mentioned the concept of connection, you know, that that desire to create some a space where they feel safe. And I feel like the animal, you know, forgive me if I'm overinterpreting, is, is providing that literally the safe safety in that safe space like you were saying to open up their hearts and and how you know like I love that question how how is that happening that they're they're allowed that that feeling of safety is allowing them to enter a therapeutic alliance to to begin a path of 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 well-being for lack of a better word
1: absolutely and you know it's interesting you say safety because I just remembered, we also wrote an article from RPC, from that work. And it was with uh, Dr. Nancy Poole and all her work around trauma. And she we happened to be presenting in the same session. And I knew Nancy for a long time already. But I had Annabelle, another therapy dog with me there who goes to RPC. This is in Winnipeg at FASD conference. And I was presenting on the work we are doing at RPC. And she was presenting on the SAMHSA trauma principles, right? And And it was just like, Everything she's saying, I had an example of, right? So we wrote an article and safety was absolutely in there. How do you create safety in an institution, in a prison? I I don't even know if that's possible.
2: I think I think the idea is the opposite that we're creating a safe society by having these individuals incarcerated, right? So then it it's it's very much at the at the the kernel that they are literally unsafe, right? And so many of these offenders are come from, you know, life circumstances that you know really are awful and and I think that is a key piece of their um their well-being is is to create that safety within within whatever space that we can offer them um, I'd love I know I've heard some of your 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 stories and of some of the individuals that you've worked with would you mind sharing a few with our listeners or one or two whatever you feel comfortable with
1: I think just based on that, when I was thinking about we hold a program, Dr. Darlene Chalmers and myself, she's from the University of Regina at Drumheller Institution. And we started that program in response to the um, warden there. And there's lots of opioid overdoses. And he said, I have some guys, not sure what to do. <laughs> How about you bring the dogs? Let's see what happens, right? Um, so we've had a couple meetings. And then this was two and a half years ago was our first cohort of five five of the prisoners there. um, Yeah, all had overdosed on opioids. And bringing in the dogs, we had four dogs at that time for a week. Uh, We had programming around it as well. Lots based on just training with the dogs, establishing that bond, because you can't train a dog if you don't have that bond. So really, it was all about, we call it um, bond, trust and respect. Right. Those are the three things that they focused on and linking that to uh, their substance use plans uh, or correctional plans, what have you. And yeah, just to see the individuals really start to have that connection and have that connection filtered into other ways. And there's one person in particular where he, you know, was quite closed when we first started and then we were on our second day. It was halfway through the day, and the dogs were starting to work with them to go through an obstacle course. And part of the obstacle course that the guys made was a badminton um, net, and they held badminton or they put badminton rackets hanging down from it. And um, so Dar- I always remember Darlene's on one side of him, and I'm on the other. Uh, he had been in for. This year, it's 25 years, so I guess 22 at that time. He had been in since he was 18 or so and just kept getting more institutional charges. Um, so he's completely institutionalized, right? Very shut down. Uh, he's all about who he is and that image within there, right? Uh, understandably, as I would be as well. Um, <clears throat> so. We are trying to get him to get Annabelle the bulldog. And if you know bulldogs at all, if they want to do something, they will. If they don't, they won't. (laughs) So a little bit more difficult to work with than Subie here. And so we're like, okay, so you want to get her under the um, badminton net and she's not going to go. She doesn't like those badminton rackets, but if she bonds and trusts with you, she's going to go because I can get her to come, right? So, okay, how are you going to get her? And he would be like, Annabelle, come, kind of thing. And we're like, yeah, it's not working. <laughs> so we just kept on saying, just be you. Be your authentic you. Just connect with her. Forget all this. Just connect with her. And he kept with that, whatever. And then after it felt like 10 minutes, I don't know, maybe it was five minutes, all of a sudden you heard from him, Annabelle, come. And we were like, whoa. And what does Annabelle do? Of course she goes under, right? Because she's trusting him now. She's connecting with him. And so from that moment, they were just like a pair. They were like one and together. And you couldn't separate them. And she's a 60-pound bulldog. You'd be carrying her around like a baby, right? And then it would be on the very last day... Uh, We do kind of the big obstacle course with the other offenders come and the staff come and it's a big group and everyone watches what they were able to do. Because to be able to get a dog to work with you off leash in a week, boy, you have to be putting a lot of hard work because if that dog doesn't trust you, he's not going to do or she's not going to do anything. They're just not. Right. Um, So all of them had a lot to show. We're very proud and uh, Annabelle did some work, and then about halfway through, she sat down on this bench, which she was supposed to be walking over, and she sat down, and I noticed it right away. She kind of put her ears down a bit, and she just looked like, you know, I don't want to be doing this anymore. Maybe she got a little afraid, you know, stage fright. There's a lot of people. Whatever the reason is, she decided she didn't want to do it. Before I could even go intervene, because I'm always watching the behavior for animal welfare, right? Before I even had a chance, this individual came running from the back of the room, scooped her up and went back and sat her on his knee in the back row of the room. And I have a picture of it. She's just smiling from ear to ear. She's like the happiest mm-hmm. dog, right? Because he protected her and whatever that relationship is, Anna Bell felt comforted right by him so you can see that reciprocal relationship they're creating too it's not just about the dog offering to him but in that instance he was able to offer back to her so you know two and a half years later we still we do video conferences with the individuals to make sure that they can still know the dogs and they get pictures and stories from the dogs uh, quite a bit so yeah so he's doing really well he just finished high school he's still on methadone yeah and to hear him talk about what it meant for her for him to have that relationship with her. that was like you said. it was safe, it was pure, it's true. It's not going away. It's still there, even though they're separated and don't see each other, right? but it it he felt something and and I think you could call it whatever you want, but he he felt something that heart opened that little bit. And for a lot of people, through, you know, interviews with other staff there and other institutions, they'll be like, some have not felt that in their entire life, right? We talk about adverse childhood experiences and the ACEs study all the time. He may have had none of that and then had a horrific act that happened, you know, bump 20 years ahead, you've been institutionalized. Maybe there is an opportunity for him to be on the outside again, Right? And it just seems like that was I mean, that's not the only good thing in his life, but it was a bit of that turning point for him to feel, I would say. And he speaks about it in those ways, because every time we have another, you know, uh, video conference with him and we're just like, I guess I'm just super critical because I just think you met a dog like is he what's he going to say now? It's the same repeated themes and being able to talk, like to take that experience and to keep it so close and how meaningful that was. I remember one of the guys at the regional psychiatric center, he, I love this is what he said because he said, even when I'm not with the dogs, I feel like because they're boxers and their are little tails, he feels like those little tails are always right behind me.
2: One of the other things that I've noticed is, um, certainly at the last, uh, s- the stigma workshop that we did together in Saskatoon was, Subi was uber attentive and he seemed to be almost like peeking out at the, the audience at points and seemed to be almost looking straight at me. Uh, I have that great picture of him looking at me in the middle of your talk and you spoke to me about how the animals seem to s- be able to sense, uh, when, when somebody is upset or feeling down, um, Can you speak a little bit about that?
1: Absolutely. I mean, the dog's sense of scent is incredible, right? Well beyond. He can tell who's been at that fire hydrant if they wanted to mate or if they were angry, right? Just by that sense of scent. And you know what always surprises me? And it just, it's never not happened. No matter what dog I have or Darlene has with her dog at the Regional Psychiatric Centre, when the guard walks in with the dog... Oh, sorry, when the guard walks in with the uh, patient, the dogs consistently go to the patient, right? And it's, they're not going to the guard. They're not going to the nurse. Yeah. So it's, you know, and they've been doing this so long. It's been five years. They know who they're going to. They know what they're doing, right? So it's just, it's amazing to me, especially at RPC, because I think like, you guys never disappoint. It's consistent. It's consistent, consistent, consistent. And they pay little attention. So they have a lot of students um, at RPC to coming into sessions and watching and stuff. And they'll pay very little attention to anyone who's watching. They want to see that that person who's coming through that door who has, you know, some quite severe mental health and mental illness.
2: Thank you so much for coming all the way into Ottawa and sharing your experiences and your research with our listeners. I really appreciate it. It's been awesome having
3: you and Sue be here.
1: For sure. Thanks for having us.
3: My name's Shannon Noonan, and I work in the Office of Strategic Initiatives under the OVPSE, um, working as a special projects officer on student mental health engagement and pet therapy.
0: Here at Carleton University, uh, where I teach and you work. We do have uh, several therapy dogs, right? How, yes, many, we, how many dogs do we have here? We have seven. Seven dogs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, that sounds like a lot, but, you know, we also have 30,000 students, right?
3: Yeah. So it's nice that we basically have availability to have a dog almost every day of the week for students, like through the through the Monday to Friday when they're typically here.
0: And is it good for the dogs to have a break from being therapy? Like, does it work for them?
3: Most of our dogs, they work once a week um, for about an hour, so it's a pretty high-paying job for an hour's worth of work. <laughs> um, but they they come like to work with their owner for the day. For example, I'll use myself just because it's easy to refer, but um, Blue is my dog. He's a great Dane Pointer Mix. He's six years old. He comes with me to the office for the day, and then we'll step out of the office for like an hour and do uh, what we call office hours with students that are open Open and anyone can come. Uh, my office hours are in Dunton Tower in the ESP program. So ESP and IESP in the Center for Initiatives and Education. Um, and then, yeah, they it it's taxing. So then he gets lots of treats and lots of rest afterwards and comes back to the office till we leave at the end of the day and then yeah, it's like very stimulating for him. It's nice that uh, he was able to do it through the winter when I'm, you know, maybe less dedicated to those long walks in minus 30 Mm. degree weather. (laughs) It gives him some stimulation and a purpose.
0: Right, right. She's saying minus 30, that's in Celsius for our American listeners. And I don't (laughs) know exactly what minus 30 is in Fahrenheit, but I will say that here in Ottawa, we have firsthand knowledge to know that minus 40 is the same in Celsius and Fahrenheit. So minus 30 is pretty cold in, yeah. either, <laughs> in either one. Um, and is it, does the dog live, does Blue live with you? Like is that, yeah. in, is your house the Blue's house?
3: Yeah. So he's just a, personal family dog that lives with me and um, then his responsibility at Carleton is just um, his his office hours he comes to work uh, with me for the day he doesn't a lot of students ask do they sleep at the school where do the dogs live <laughs> so yeah they belong to uh, Carleton staff and faculty and we have one community volunteer who's um, she she is outside of Carleton but she's associated with us through Ottawa therapy dogs mm-hmm. um, and her placement is actually being a part of our team so yeah
0: so Blue's just a member of your family that happens to have a job just like everybody else
3: (laughs) yeah he's he's a he earns his keep
0: (laughs) right right so um so all the therapy animals at carlton are dogs is there something special about dogs as a species that makes them particularly good as therapy animals
3: yeah i think that certainly the research shows it's more extensively um, researched that dogs are commonly used and they're easier to sort of use as subjects i think um uh, a lot of people ask me about cats, <laughs> so I often get the question like, wh- "Why not cats?" I think that um, cats are just if for those cat lovers out there. I think that they um, they value their environment more than. Uh, dogs do like that's kind of their number one if you were thinking about like basic needs levels of needs um the cat's environment is really really important to them so that's above all else and it's really tough to kind of bring them in and out of a new environment um Mm, okay you know how they need to to sort of establish themselves and unless it's a very very special cat there are some out there that uh that are through like i know there's an, an organization in alberta um that has a a certification test for cats. Um, it's like a, an international. They use the international standards for this particular cat test. Um, but my area is dogs. I may be a little bit biased, but uh, I just find that a little easier to work with. Um, they tend to be a little more uh, willing to work, if so to speak. So they want to please our humans. They want um, to. They're they're a little bit more prone to obedience and sort of wanting to sort of challenge themselves a little bit more and have that patience and that handler dog connection is really obvious. Um, With cats they're kind of more uh, pref- they prefer their owners usually over anyone else, and I think even cat even cat
0: people would agree with most of what yeah, you're saying. Yeah, <laughs> most of us
3: would, and, and I think that's part of the allure of cats for people too is that that special
0: bond that you have with your cat.
3: And, yeah. Right. So, um,
0: so it sounds like cats are a little more challenging as therapy animals for because it's not as good for the cat and it's not as good for the therapy itself
3: yeah and you want to be doing something that's humane for the animals and not forcing it upon them either, so yeah. um, dogs are a little bit more uh, intuitively rewarded by this kind of thing
0: right right Um mm-hmm. so I've heard people say, oh, I you know I was thinking of having my dog become a therapy dog what what kind of a what makes a good therapy dog? What makes a good candidate for this job?
3: Yeah, so I like to say uh temperament. Testing and talent is kind of an acronym I used to remember Um, but temperament is their basic how they're born This is that their personality that um, they have to have a little bit of sort of natural um, Calmness to them and then the testing is just you can kind of think of that as training as well and work towards uh, Passing a test so you can train certain exercises to meet the standards of the testing and then talent is sort of the propensity for the work so uh, a dog has to have a certain liking to do this so they may have a very calm temperament and they are super relaxed but they may shy away from the human contact or would prefer to kind of just be off in the corner on their own so Mm -hmm. it's those distinct features yeah
0: Right. Um, how about particular ages? Like, are puppies a problematic because they're too excitable, or wh- what's the? Is there an age?
3: Yeah, yeah. Like, there's some surge of sort of puppy <laughs> yoga and things that happen um, on an offhanded basis, but um, uh, for the for the most part, it's the. Over two years of age usually is kind of the the point where you can start thinking about this kind of work. And then usually dogs calm down depending on their size and their breed and all that. Like after age like six to eight, they start getting into sort of more adult years and then into senior. They can work into senior years as well um, up until a certain point when... Maybe it's not healthy or it's not, uh, you know, you just want to let the dog live out its golden years at home kind of thing. So there's a process of
0: retirement as well. Okay, right. Yeah, yeah. I know pu- puppies have little sharp teeth and like to nibble on your hands and that might not be Yeah, a great There's
3: less, <laughs> definitely less control there.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, and are they, do certain breeds work better than other breeds in general? Um, No. So there's actually nothing to show that any breed uh,
3: really works more than others, but there's commonalities like uh, golden retrievers are typically used because I think also because they're... More of a common breed in our society, and they're a more common family pet. They do have like a friendly temperament, um, but mm-hmm. it's not to say that other breeds won't work. It is, I think it's, I think it's more individual. Like a Great Dane can be a therapy dog, as a Chihuahua can be a therapy dog, um, depending on if they pass the test and if they enjoy socialization with humans and all of that.
0: So you find you find therapy dogs of all breeds. Totally, yeah. Yeah, 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 that's great. Yeah, we, you know, my wife and I are generally pug people, and the pugs we've the pugs we've had have been so great with like little kids that would come and hit them, and the dog would just walk away. You know, it would never, it never respond with anger,
3: and yeah. uh, you
0: know, uh, pugs are a special breed for sure. Yeah, <laughs> they're special in many ways. Um, so, why do you think people want to visit therapy animals?
3: Uh, I think that there's many reasons. There are reasons that range from just you know, wanting a little bit of love to needing some support. Um, some people actually identify, like they're struggling with mental health and they'd like, they, help, they, they like to visit because it helps them pro- find a balance or reach a balance through the week, let's say, that they visit once or twice a week, different dogs. Um, rather than go to the gym or something, like it's a different strategy that they can use. It's a coping mechanism. Um, we also get people who come on purpose who have fears, because they want, they know it's going to be a safe dog, so they'll work on their fear that way. Wow, and, that's great. Yeah, so there's tons of reasons. Um, most people so you come. Get, it sounds like they you like you get
0: repeat customers too. Like you get.
3: Oh yeah, pe- yeah. We get the regulars who come every week. Every dog handler knows they're regulars, and they know wow. they have that special relationship with those students who come every week. Um, and then those students actually start to bond together as well and learn each other's stories and check in with each other. I've seen that firsthand for sure. Um, and then we do get new visitors every week too, like people that have been sort of wanting to visit all year and they finally made the time or what have you. Yeah.
0: That's, that's beautiful. That's, that's so great. I love, I mean, personally, I just love seeing dogs. Just seeing a dog puts a smile on my face. Any yeah. dog, you know, just walking down the street or whatever. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. So I, I, I get it. How do, how do people interact with these therapy dogs? Uh, You mean like what do they physically do when they come? Yeah, do they pet them? Do they watch them? You know, they roughhouse? Are they allowed to? Like what? Oh yeah,
3: they're not really allowed to roughhouse. We would control that if that happened. Um, But if. If uh, Yeah, so there's a variance of some people do watch because they find it therapeutic just to watch the dog, especially the bulldog. They really love to come and just sit in a circle and watch him kind of exist because he makes lots of funny noises, as you can probably re- relate to from the pugs. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so he's like <laughs> one that people find calming just to watch. Um, and they pet as well, but it's a weird trend with him. And then, uh, yeah, we get the people that get just right down on their knees and sort of down on the dog's level and really into it and petting. Um, Some of our dogs are a little more um, youthful and excited, and we do a little bit of play with them, like sort of structured play where we might allow the students to throw a ball in a controlled environment, um, and the dog would bring it back and... Uh, we have, like, safety measures in place for that. But yeah, nothing too
0: rowdy, <laughs> right? Yeah,
3: it's very structured, but it's fun. It's, it re- releases a bit sure. of stress, too. And it's fun to see them light up, like the dog. Like, so the students that are watching like to see the dog get that sort of just innocence and explosion
0: of excitement when they run after the ball. and Yeah, it's fun. Um, and, and do – I mean, is there privacy with the dog, or is it more like whoever's in the room is in the room and –
3: yeah, you can it's watch a somebody in. else pet the dog or Yeah. It's a it's a drop-in basis, so there's there's no guarantee that you're gonna get one on one time, but uh sometimes there are slower days where you might get uh one on one time with the dog. Typically we see we actually control the numbers, so it would be like if like four or five people come in and then another group of four or five people show up we'll just ask them to wait and then we rotate people through so that there's not 10 surrounding the dog right.
0: at once <laughs> yeah yeah and um and therapy dogs are also are they also used in like hospitals and 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 uh, like seniors homes and that kind of thing
3: yeah they uh for sure they are are used um, in the same capacity that we use them. So let's say um, therapeutic visits, you call it, and this visitation occurs with sort of those um, family dogs that are pets that people get certified and go out and do animal therapy work with them. It's actually called animal-assisted activities at that level. And then there's another level where uh, people can have their dogs certified as therapy dogs, so the same kind of training, Um, but there's professionals that work alongside the dog. And so let's say they might be working on uh, fine motor control or a limb, like getting some movement in a limb back or other things that um, a, a client might be working on, and there's formal therapeutic goals associated. And then there's another type of... Of dog or cat in this case which is a facility animal and that animal would live right in the facility like in a senior's home let's say and a dog might even be able to help uh, keep uh, maybe dementia patients out of trouble and, and alert of people of things that are working there um, and a cat would just kind of be around and provides that comfort and support for residents and yeah so there's many different ways that they can be used
0: yeah <laughs> And, uh, you know, if we're talking about how they interact with animals, I've heard that some people follow the dogs on social media here. Yeah. Is that true? Yeah. So we have
3: Instagram and Twitter. So at the at CU therapy dog is our handle. And a lot of students actually come up to me around campus and say like, you know, I'm just so glad that they're here. Like, it's nice. I've actually not been to see the dog, but I follow him on, on Instagram. And I love just seeing the updates of all the pictures of the happy doggy faces and stuff like that. So it's, (laughs) it's cool to see that they're engaging in that way as well as in person. And so you just kind of don't know know the numbers, like the impact that we might have um, with those that are following online.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, it's really neat to think that the therapy dog is helping people who don't even meet the dog. They're just enjoying knowing the dogs on campus and following its antics or whatever, you know? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I remember I had similar kind of experience when we adopted a pug. We would walk the dog and people would ask the name of the dog, and then we'd find out that they had been following that pug on on the adoption website. Oh, really? They, oh, I know that's that dog. And like They already like the dog was more already famous.
3: <laughs> that's so cool. Yeah, there's people that come across us. They bump into us on campus, and they'll be like, "Oh my gosh, I've been following him for two years. I finally get to meet him. Like this celebrity or something." <laughs>
0: oh, that's so <laughs> yeah, cute. yeah. Um, so I guess the main is like the main one of the main reasons people go is for stress relief, right? Is there is there an impact on on stress?
3: Oh yeah, in, I think in so. Dealing with a dog. Yeah. uh, Certainly, there's research to back that up. But anecdotally, the students say that they feel calmer when they leave. Um, The reason they come is for stress. And they just like um, taking a beat, like taking a moment away from everything that's coming at them from all angles, whether it's class or social media or other media or things that are sort of stimulating to take that time. Nobody really Brings out their phones during sessions other than if they're taking a picture of the dog, for example, mm-hmm. to post mm-hmm. on their social later. Um, but they're not they're not distracted. They're fully engaged when they come and visit, so it's neat to see them just get to that core mindfulness in the session. Yeah,
0: yeah, I, I think I think animals are really special. Uh, a friend of mine, a writer Dorothy Reno, said that our love for animals is uncomplicated. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was so beautiful because, you know, I might not love a dog as much as I love my wife, you know, but yeah. loving humans is, is you know, it's complicated. It's got ups and downs and it's got, you know, uh, but but yeah. animals, you, you can feel like you fall in love with an animal in minutes and it, and it you know, uh, and it's sort yeah. of, a, you know, so even though like hanging out with friends is great, you know, friends can get annoyed with you and friends can get this and that and dogs, uh, you know, they're just sort of... Uh, Generally, very positive, especially a therapy dog who's selected to be, you know, totally positive. I can see that's a wonderful,
3: yeah, wonderful they're very thing to have. steady, very steady, and you can rely on them. And uh, their love for you is unconditional.
0: Yes, yes, uncomplicated, and unconditional for sure. Yeah. And are you, uh, are we happy with the number of therapy dogs on Carlton's campus? How many would be the ideal number? Uh, I don't know if
3: I would necessarily say an ideal, but I would certainly love to explore recruiting a few more because I think that um, we get a lot of requests and there's definitely a need for, or a, a, at least there's a demand for for more visits and more options. Um, students that maybe are in different departments that don't get to certain corners of campus as often, and some event requests and stuff that we just can't fulfill at the capacity that we're at. So maybe another cohort is in the works but we'll see <laughs>
0: wow that would be great that'd be great Well, yeah. th- thank you thank you so much for um thank you for talking to us about uh, carlton's therapy dogs and uh, i'm looking forward to following blue on social media
3: <laughs> thank you so much for having us and for talking about this subject it's very um rewarding to see that people are responding so enthusiastically and um just love having the dogs around so yeah
0: This episode of Minding the Brain was edited by me, Mike Contos, and brought to you by the Faculty of Arts and Social Sciences and the Faculty of Science at Carleton University, and made possible, in part, by the ozone layer, making terrestrial life possible by protecting the surface of the Earth from the sun's ultraviolet radiation. Theme music is plucked by Michael Terry. More episodes and show notes available at mindingthebrainpodcast.com.